the fact that we were actually led into all that based on ghost box responses that like led us outside of where we were investigating out to a lot out back and got us involved in this whole mess with missing persons case that's probably the most profound experience Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I continue my conversation with Austin Maynard. As outlined in Part 1, Austin is the founder of the Underground Paranormal Network, which is a network of historic buildings around the Midwest that are opened up for ghost hunts and history tours in order to raise money and awareness for preservation. Austin's interest in the paranormal world only grew after having a near-death experience himself. While he defines himself more as a paranormal experimentalist rather than an investigator, Austin has extensive knowledge on the type of paranormal equipment you can see on shows such as Ghost Adventures. You may have even seen Austin himself in shows such as Paranormal Lockdown and Destination Fear, as he recounts some bone-chilling experiences that can't easily be explained. Our conversation has a ton of information surrounding paranormal equipment, the complexities of the universe, and all of the engineering and ingenuity that comes with trying to explain the unexplainable. Be sure to give part one a listen before diving into this episode to get a better understanding on Austin's background in the paranormal field. I hope these concepts about the afterlife and the overall inner workings of the universe will leave you as intrigued as I was. So just sit back, relax, and get ready for Austin Maynard's journey with the Underground Paranormal Network, part two. I love watching different paranormal shows and documentaries, and I was watching an episode of Paranormal Lockdown, and they were at Higgins Sports School in Ohio, oh, and they were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they mentioned Austin yeah. Maynard, I was like, wait, I know an Austin Maynard, and then they show, he's like, wait, I know that guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> was so I went to high school with him. Yeah, <laughs> it was so wild. <laughs> yeah, man, that was, a, that was a cool experience. I, I, that was actually not even the first time that I had met Nick Groff. Oh, it's so uh, cool. The first time I met Katrina, and uh, the first time I met Elizabeth Saint and Rob Safi. those were, they were really cool, too. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, that was – I missed the Higgins Sports School, man. We were running – we had that in our possession. Like, we had keys to that place for a good eight months before the owner, who was – he's kind of a, a weird, sketchy guy on his own. Mm-hmm. Like, he own, he's a real estate agent, but he owns, like, the biggest paddle boat in Cincinnati. <laughs> like, or the – no, he's the, it's the oldest steamboat in Ohio, like he owns it and it's down in Cincinnati and like the, he's always in a fight with the city over trying to like take care of it properly and he just doesn't do it. He's just, you know, but he like flipped on us over some things that we didn't even do. Hmm. Like it was, a, there was a time capsule that was uh, stolen from the school, like the t- 1987 time capsule, I think. Oh, okay. Or the 1980 time capsule from Higginsport. Yeah. Cause uh, they had it in a brick and some, and somehow a couple of my teammates found it. We took it out and put it inside the school. And I was thinking like, Oh crap, you know, this would be great for people to come and see when they come and investigate, you know, they can look through this, see their, their names signed on the paper and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the, the problem with Higginsport, man, there were so many people that would, br- teenagers would just find ways to break into it. Mm-hmm. Like we had people that 
that like scaled the uh, the fire escape and like was uh, shimming across a, a ledge on the wall, like on the second story, to get in an open window that was like ten feet down the ledge. Jeez, it's like really, man. Like <laughs> these kids got. I mean, it's it's insane what they would do. And so, like when I came in one day, like there was glass all over the floor from a window being broken, of course, mm-hmm. and you know stuff was thrown everywhere, and none of the contents of the Higginsport school time capsule were around oh that's a bummer it's such a weird thing to steal too i know and that's what was so weird about it it was like why what would anybody (laughs) want with a a newspaper from 1980 like what what do you like i didn't understand (laughs) it and i still don't understand it but like that's why it took the keys back is because like somebody stole the time capsule and i don't know what happened to it like yeah it's just such a shame. That place was awesome, man. Oh, I know. And I, I love that episode, too. And it just looked like it was just um, full of so much activity and stuff, too. And I think you even mentioned that episode that you saw, like, an apparition of a boy. Yeah. Kevin, man. That's crazy. Fun. Yeah, his name is Kevin. And the crazy thing is is that I think I'm pretty sure that he's actually, like, moved over to the Middle Point School now. Oh, really? And it's, like, over there with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it's, just, it's weird. And the only reason we think it's him is because he keeps like he follows us around everywhere just like he did at Higginsport mm-hmm. he's mentioned Higginsport has come through a couple times on EVP or Ghost Box but like it's never like significant enough to really say it's him mm-hmm. but we're pretty we're pretty sure it's him you know <laughs> he's a little 10 year old boy had like the knickers on like the old knickerbocker pants <laughs> oh wow you remember those <laughs> I think I know what you're talking yeah. about yeah <laughs> Yep. Dang. Well, I mean, the place was built in 1880, though, so, I mean, it would make sense. Yeah. I mean, that was, like, pre-Titanic era. No, for sure. I guess, how did that entire process work? So, I guess, did you reach out to Nick and his team to, to come there and investigate? Well, I actually, um, funny story, I, I, I reached out to Elizabeth Saint. Okay. And I didn't even know that she was part of that whole process. Mm. And I, because, like, I had just reached out to her uh, through her website sent her an email and she emailed me back about it as wanted more information and so i sent her more information i think actually i as i was typing up the email to her i got a call from rob Safi, okay the camera guy and the producer for the show mm-hmm. and so i was like oh and at first i didn't realize who i was talking to like the whole time he was talking to me he said oh i'm uh rob Safi from paranormal lockdown and i heard paranormal lockdown i was like whoa okay hold up <laughs> so i sat up and I was like, talk, I just thought he was like some production manager or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then uh, I said, I'm sorry, what was your name again? He said, Rob Safi. I'm the camera guy. And I was like, oh, oh, shoot. <laughs> okay. And that was like kind of when it became a reality because it was like, dang, that's a, we actually got the travel channel coming out to our place. Yeah. To shoot an episode of the school with Nick Groff. I know. Nick Groff. So wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I idolized him at one point, and, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people did, and uh, a lot of people still might. Um, Mm -hmm. He's, I don't know, he's really weird, because sometimes he'll respond to me, sometimes he won't, Mm -hmm. sometimes, like, he'll just, but people say, like, he's kind of been just, like, really uh, almost too, uh, got a big head. Oh, Like, he's too good to talk to you kind of thing. He doesn't talk to people or be disrespectful like that but like you get that impression because it's like he's really like 
everything he says kind of gives off that like I really can only give you a short response I don't really got much time to even say nothing to you but the fact that I'm even messaging <laughs> you you know it's one of those things it's like okay alright right yeah now, I know he's been in the field forever I mean I think he started with Ghost Adventures and then eventually kind of teed off yep. and did his own show yeah that kind of well he he was kicked off Ghost Adventures more or less because uh Zach didn't like the fact that he was doing, uh, he was producing that other show, Ghost Stalkers, with uh, Chad uh, Lindbergh from Fast and Furious and uh, John Tenney. Oh, interesting. And it was, <laughs> yeah, it was a show. He was just producing. He wasn't starring in it or nothing. But Zach didn't like that because basically any paranormal show that goes out on national television is competition for Ghost Adventures. Yeah, it's very true though. Zach's having no part of that. <laughs> well, he. I mean, he doesn't have to. He's Zach Bagans. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, the guy is a genius when it comes to marketing and branding. Really, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's a genius with dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. He's a like he really knows how to produce a an intense, an emotionally intense uh, TV show. Yeah, he does a great build up, and then it's this exciting and intense investigation, and like it's been, the, it's the longest running. TV show uh, or TV series and or paranormal history at least or you know what I mean so right he's got he's doing something right <laughs> I mean, clearly oh for sure <laughs> yeah no definitely I mean that show's been around forever for sure so uh, do you have a favorite spot that you love to do investigating at a favorite spot yeah ooh <laughs> I really I'm not gonna lie I love Middle Point School okay I mean Higginsport Higginsport will always have a place in my heart. Same thing with uh, another place, Old Crow Distillery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I was just recently, me and my partner Mike were on an episode of Destination Fear there. Uh, it was actually the one that just aired over Halloween this past Halloween. In case you were curious, that episode of Destination Fear that Austin is referring to is titled Old Bourbon Distillery and is in Season 2, Episode 8. And that episode of Paranormal Lockdown we talked about in the beginning of the episode is Season 3, Episode 3, and is simply titled Higgins Sports School. They did the Old Crow Distillery down in Frankfort, Kentucky, built in like 1835. It's like 30 acres with like 16 buildings, the oldest one being the main distillery building, which is all stone and like old masonry work, like back in 1835, and like Mm -hmm. it's massive. Nice. It is a massive location, and that was a scary place. I like that just because of the intensity level of it. Yeah. Like it was just, I mean, they had like mountain lions and bobcats and like predators that you had to watch out for we actually did see mountain lions one time behind the main just actually my wife and uh our former teammate actually were uh went behind the building to you know just use the bathroom Mm -hmm. and uh while they were back there they said oh there's some great danes back there and we were like oh those are great danes (laughs) 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 there was some big cats (laughs) jeez yeah so uh well, I mean, we never, um, they they never, like, came up at us. You could always see them, like, lurking in the distance. And I think that they hid out in uh, the old, the houses that were kind of basically falling apart while we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they were definitely watching us, making sure we weren't going near their young or something. Mm. But we stayed out of, they, because the houses were all in the back of the property and uh, the main buildings were all in the front. So we just kind of stayed in the front. Which is still a lot of area to cover, but man, I mean, yeah, you can see them just, <laughs> just watching. 
Yeah, that just adds an extra level of, (laughs) oh yeah, oh yeah, extra level of fear and anxiety in there. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. You gotta worry about spirits and mountain lions, apparently. (laughs) Oh, the spirits are the least of my concerns. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to get eaten. (laughs) No, so true. Like that one video that's been going viral lately of the dude that was like chased by a cougar for like a long time. A link to that famous cougar video we're referring to can be found in the show notes. Oh, yeah, dude. That one's so nuts. God. Yeah. I mean, they are they are that big, but, man, like, we were lucky they didn't... Okay. I, uh, one story I can't tell. I remember <laughs> we were there, and the second time we went, me and uh, a former teammate, Brad, we brought our pistols with us mm-hmm. because, like, we when we went there the first time, we knew that there were mountain lions and stuff, and so we were like, okay, we're just going to bring them. Just have them on us, just in case. Right. <laughs> I mean, we don't want to encounter a mountain lion and not have anything, do we? And so, like, during the daytime when we first got there, we were walking in the back towards, like, where the houses are. We started approaching one of the houses because uh, we were hearing, like, big, heavy footsteps mm-hmm. coming from the second floor. And we were like, oh, shit, what's in there? <laughs> and so, as we started going in there, me and Brad both had our pistols pulled. And I got a 40, and he's got a 9 millimeter. And we're just, we have him pulled, and of course, my partner Mike, he just takes a rock and throws it up at the top of the stairs. <laughs> and we hear these big, big boot steps, like boom, boom, boom. And so we just run. And we knew, like, I knew that those were the mountain lions up there, man. <laughs> oh, jeez. I mean, that was a scary situation. I'm not going to lie. Like, I actually felt terror a little bit because <laughs> he throws a rock at antagonizing a mountain lion. Like, uh, okay, man. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll get the blood flowing. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Dang, that's great. Yeah. Let's see. Now, you mentioned, obviously, uh, Paranormal Lockdown and Destination Fear. Have you been on any other shows or featured anywhere else? There's a show called Most Terrifying Places. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the old one that was called Most Terrifying Places in America. Uh, this was the new one, and I think they just uh, rebranded it to have Jason Hawes in it. Okay. Uh, so it's Most Terrifying Places with Jason Hawes. I'm actually, me and our psychic medium friend Brandy were featured in that one mm-hmm. um, for a building over here in Bryan, uh, an old grain elevator that had a tragic incident tra- a tragic history really mm-hmm. we got the travel channel to come out here and film an episode of, of um or film a segment for most terrifying places there so that's on the first episode season one episode one it's actually the very last story of that episode oh nice no that's so cool i'll definitely have to yeah. check that one out i'm a sucker for any sort of paranormal shows so <laughs> oh man yeah like these i mean i'm I'm good friends with all those guys, man. Like, uh, Tennessee Wraith Chaser Boys. Like, I I text Mike Goncalves all the time. (laughs) I pay them to come out to events and stuff. I texted Dalen recently from the Ghost Brothers. Mm -hmm. Because, actually, they're using one of my devices that KD built for me. It's a Talking Whiz Kid. The Talking Whiz Kid came out in the late 80s, so it was a little before my time. Essentially, it's an interactive computer that taught kids science, math, colors music, geography, and many other subjects all on one device. I actually had something very similar growing up called the Little Talking Scholar, which is another product the same company VTech put out. They also had the talking teachers, they had the speaking spells, they had the speak and learns, you know, the various forms of those electronic games. Well, KD uh, started diving into circuit bending Mm -hmm. a little bit. 
And so circuit bending is basically like those old electronics. A lot of guitarists use them. I'm sure you know what circuit bending is. Yeah. It basically, those old electronics that make them do all kinds of wonky sounds and stuff with the audio clips that's already in them. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, uh, he circuit bent a talking whiz kid for me. It has a button on the top, and you can use it. And the whole idea is that it uses that they can use the segments to talk just like a ghost box or anything else. Mm-hmm. But I ended up uh, having to send that over to the Ghost Brothers for their second season of uh, Haunted House Guests, I think it was. Hmm. So they have that. I mean, I talk to these guys. Like, I know these guys, and I know their lifestyle, and I really don't want to live that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, mainly it's uh, the TWC guys. Austin's referring to the Tennessee Wraith Chasers, a group of paranormal investigators on the show Haunted Towns which can be seen on the Travel Channel. I really wouldn't want to live their lifestyle because, like, those guys, basically, uh, when they're not filming for the Travel Channel or whatever, uh, they are living out of a suitcase, traveling from location to location, doing these events every weekend, Mm -hmm. being around a bunch of, you know, uh, weirdo fans that want pictures with them and their autographs and want to touch them and stuff. And, you know, it's, like, weird. And so for, you know, 500 bucks, a thousand bucks a weekend or whatever per person, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess a thousand bucks, I mean, it gets old after a while, living, traveling all over the place every weekend because, you know, that's all you can do because that's what you've committed yourself to, you know, especially those guys that are like stuck with uh, contracts with the Travel Channel and uh, the Discovery Network and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're limited on what they can do outside of the travel channel's requirements. You know what I mean? Right. It kind of sucks. Like I know um, they just recently got out of their contract. So like now they're kind of stuck. They don't have reg, they haven't held regular jobs in almost a decade. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of crappy in a way. (laughs) No. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And um, now from what I'm kind of gathering, do a lot of your, kind of investigations and events happen in the midwest or do you ever travel outside of the midwest to do things well right now it's just midwest um the the underground paranormal network i mean all the locations that we have on the network right now are in in either ohio or detroit michigan Mm -hmm. you know um i hope eventually that it will uh, expand nationwide Mm -hmm. Uh, way down the line uh, you know, as we just gather more locations, more people willing to help and volunteer and uh, so you know, eventually I hope that it will travel all over the place. But right now, yeah, Midwest. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So who are some of your biggest role models, either related to the paranormal world or not? Oh, well, I mean, I would have to say my biggest one is probably my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, inspired me to appreciate the history I guess it, he inspired me to appreciate the old architecture and like, you know, really dive in. Cause there's a lot of fascinating stories that most people wouldn't even know about certain places, things that they would, that they go through daily. Even some people like the building that they work in has had some crazy tri- history and it's, I don't know, that kind of stuff fascinates me. And so like, I attribute that to him mm-hmm. And uh, he, just the way he is as a man, I mean, it, it. he raised me to just be a good, honest, respectable human being. Yeah. And uh, that he's probably one of my biggest one. As far as, like, paranormal-wise, 
Uh, that's hard, man, because like I have there's so many different ones that have like kind of inspired me to do certain things, but like I don't know if there's any one particular individual. Maybe I mean obviously the Zach Bagans was a big one. Nick was at Nick Groff was at one point, mm-hmm. but there's very few people or paranormal investigators out there that I think could like do the that like really f- had the uh variety of focuses i guess yeah but there's a lot of uh people that have definitely inspired me to do certain things yeah um i mean outside of zach bagans i mean there's a lot of uh, frank sumption the inventor of the ghost box mm-hmm. steve halte jay prather kd stafford i mean a lot of these guys are very inspirational and i look up to them in a lot of ways yeah because I think those guys are driving the field towards, like, genuine recognition as a, uh, not a pseudoscience, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, actual legitimate study. No, for sure. And, no, I, I think that's awesome, though. And I think the approach that you take with it is, is awesome, too, because it, it kind of combines both with the ghosts investigating or setting up the different experiments. That's kind of the pseudoscience, I guess, aspect of it. But the actual act of digging into the history and the preservation of these properties, I mean, that's a very real, tangible thing that I think a lot of people can get on board with. Anyone who's big into history and preservation, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not just, I mean, not even just the present. I mean, well, anybody that, like, has lived, like, I know uh, some of these guys that uh, own, uh, like, the guy that owns the uh, 6th Precinct in Detroit. His name is Ed Steele. Mm-hmm. And the guy is so passionate about the city of Detroit. And he's, so, he's lived in Detroit his whole life. You know, Detroit is everything to him. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, bringing attention to his building, bringing attention to the city of Detroit. Detroit is very important to him so it's not even just about like anybody that appreciates their city anybody that appreciates the legacy of their forefathers in general you know I mean yeah you got to be fascinated buildings just weren't built they they don't make them like they used to mm-hmm. good way to say it, right, right. <laughs> architecture nowadays is crap compared to what it used to be no oh, so true yeah, actually, someone you should look into if you haven't already is uh, Steve Shippey, who works out of like the Saginaw area. He has something on Travel Channel right now too. I think he just has a season of it that's called Haunting in the Heartland. But he had oh, yeah. yeah many documentaries on on Prime, just going into these different buildings around Saginaw and like I don't know. I feel like he really digs into like the yeah. research and the investigation part of it. Yeah, and I think um, I mean the research. I think it's all important in it. I just think that. You, the problem I have with, like, when I go to do just like a, a, a lo- an investigation at a location I've never been to or never even heard of before, mm-hmm. like somebody says, hey, come out to this place. It's like, okay. You know, I would rather go in blind first because I would rather see what I can capture, like, response-wise, mm-hmm. you know, name-wise, date-wise. Like, if I can get any kind of information from them beforehand – before I even look into the history, because then I can almost tie things together. If I look up the history before I go, my mind is biased. Yeah. Like I'm searching for something and I don't want to be searching for something specific because if that's all I'm looking for, then I'm going to be missing so many other things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And that's like the biggest part of it. There's a fine line when it comes to the human interference. Yeah. 
Like what? Where? Where does the mind, the psychology, play into all of this? And when you look at the history of things, it, it, it's very harmful to actual research when you're out in the field because people will stretch things. People will stretch responses. They'll stretch the truth and try to bend it to make it fit mm-hmm. somehow, some way. Like, oh, you know, he wore a Boulder Derby back in the day. So they said Derby over the radio. Oh. He wore a derby hat back in the day. Oh, you know, it's like it's like that kind of stuff. That's like really like okay, is that really paranormal, or are you trying to make it right paranormal? And so that's why I, I almost feel like the evidence. I, I mean, everything I do is live. Mm-hmm. Everything I can't. I don't. I don't like to edit footage and like try to portray something that you know is subjective as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, it's always just fun to try to see what kind of, um, responses I can get, what kind of activity I can get with the different experiments, the different equipment that we, uh, that we get from our sponsors. And, um, you know, I mean, it's always exciting stuff, even if the experiment doesn't always, doesn't work the way I, I hope it does. Like that actually happened this past weekend when we went to the Ohio state reformatory in Mansfield. Uh, like I had this big experiment set up that I thought would work really well down the east cell block and it did not work the way I had intended. Mm-hmm. And now looking back on it, I wish I would have done it in the chapel because it played around with the acoustics really well. Mm-hmm. And I think like the acoustics of the walls, like the, that, the, the energy that's just imprinted on those walls, man, from the history, every, all the years of inmates walking through that place. I mean, it's just it's soaked into that. And so I think, like, if you were to start playing the vibrations throughout the halls, you're almost, like, pulling that stuff out of the walls when you do that. Mm-hmm. I, I almost want to play around with that a little bit more, but, you know, sometimes the experiments don't work like that, and that was kind of disappointing because I spent a whole lot of time setting that up. <laughs> right. No, for sure. And, it, yeah, it's funny you brought up the Ohio State Reformatory because I was about to ask about that one as well. So I was watching the live video and stuff oh, yeah. on it, so... <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. Shawshank Prison. Everybody knows Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, that, that is a connection. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the uh, the yeah the Ohio State Reformatory is the prison they used for filming Shawshank Redemption. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and I love that movie, too. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, they actually have, like, the... Um, like the the tunnel that you can see them crawling out of at the end of the movie, like the sewer tunnel. Yeah, they actually have that on display in the uh, bullpen area. Oh, nice. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, and so uh, they have those. They have uh, like you go to the ad the administration building and go into Brooks's room. And you can see where he signed Brooks was here. Mm-hmm. So was Don, <laughs> or so was the other guy. Whatever, I can't remember. But yeah, but. Um, no, it's an awesome experience going to that place, man. Just being having the opportunity to investigate it on a small, like a private scale, you know, is really, really cool because there's like less than 15 of us in that entire place, you know? Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. That's a giant place. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. So how often do you do events like that? Shoot, man, we're doing something every single weekend, it seems like. Yeah. I think we are actually have bookings or event private investigations public investigations the celebrity events we got a number of things going on every weekend between now and november oh wow (laughs) yeah like literally every some of those weekends are two two two-day weekends you know what i mean like 
I got a whole like I know I got the July thirty first event at the precinct, the lockdown at the precinct event. That's the big one that I got all the celebrities and everything coming out to. Mm-hmm. That one's going to be big, and that's going to be a two day thing because it's all the way up in Detroit, mm-hmm. which is two hour drive for me. So I'm not just going to go up there. You know, three hours beforehand. Oh, let's get ready. <laughs> right. <laughs> nah, nah. I'm going to have to go up there at least the day before we're set up and have everything ready to go by the morning. Mm-hmm. Between the six locations, man, trying to maintain them, doing the volunteer cleanup days, doing the little, uh, we got the precinct tours coming up in September and October. Uh, I got my own events. We got... Uh, like we have to host private teams at these locations the private tours the private bookings whatever um teams will rent the place out for the night one of our crew has to go and sit there on site all night with them mm-hmm. just for because that's what our liability insurance uh, requires okay and so when we have four or five locations booked in one weekend like out of the six i mean a lot of times i have to go out there and watch the <laughs> you know what i mean Right, and if it's not that, it's a public event. It's a private investigation over there. It's so, I mean, it's always something. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I'm gathering. It's just a massive slew of events because you don't necessarily have a crew per se, do you? Yeah, no, I do. Okay, you do. No, we do. Uh, yeah, the Underground Paranormal Network is kind of like an umbrella for uh, Creepy Cincinnati Paraforensics okay. and Spectral Ohio Paraforensics. And the, uh, Spectral Ohio is up north, Creepy Cincinnati is down south. And so we kind of have two branches of the same crew. Uh, but those are those two, those are like the investigation teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and members of the crew are part of the UGPN, which is more of the location and uh, builder and like advancement kind of stuff okay um like the private investigations that we actually do like we'll sometimes we'll pay to go to locations or like uh, one of the locations we're going to this year at some point is a trans allegheny lunatic asylum in western west virginia okay that's like the big most infamous insane asylum. like that was the epicenter for lobotomy oh that, that was the where place. lobotomy was practiced <laughs> yes and so like it's this big yellow hospital build Kirkbride building man it's just beautiful but man like it's the, you can look up some of the reasons for admittance back in the day like a lot of times they would admit people for just crazy things like one thing was like a woman who defied her husband or like just said some like disagreed with him mm-hmm. like they would admit a woman for that like it was just stuff like that it was crazy but they would perform lobotomies on these normal people yeah. Just screw them up for life because that's what they thought worked. That was experimental brain surgery back in the day. It's so wild to me because, like, I think back to, like, the Salem witch trials and stuff, too, and it's it's crazy because if yeah. you look at some of the documented things of, like, what people accuse others of being a witch for, some of it's yeah. just absolutely ridiculous. Like, one of them, I think, was, like, <laughs> a neighbor had, like, constipation, and they, like, thought it was their neighbor who was, like, a witch or something like that, and that's why he was constipated. And it was, like, actually documented. It was like, can you imagine <laughs> growing up in this time? period oh man like there was i think there was even a a point in time at at the beginning of the salem witch trials like if a woman was having a period yeah like they thought she was a witch (laughs) or something like that it was like what (laughs) there were some really crazy theories surrounding that too i think there was one that was kind of floating around out there that was saying that they think that the whole community was kind of having like a massive stereotype thing because they didn't have like an efficient 
refrigeration process during that time period. So, like, they think that legitimately, like, the diet and the food they were eating was causing them to hallucinate. And they think that may have caused some of the Salem witch trial scares. <laughs> this theory in particular was first mentioned in the 1976 paper Ergotism, The Satan Loosed in Salem by Linda R. Capriel. In short, the idea is that people in Salem were infected with ergotism, which is caused by ingesting a fungus that grows on rye bread that has an appearance similar to overbaked grain. The theory isn't exactly a favorite in the history circle, with several scholars arguing some of Capriol's original points. However, it's still an interesting concept to consider. More information surrounding this theory can be found in the show notes. Uh, that is entirely possible, man. I know that mass hysteria was definitely a problem because, I mean, everybody was on edge. Like, who's a witch? Who's not? You know, like, mm. no, everybody was nervous around that time. That was like, that completely took over Massachusetts back in the day. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just Salem. That was, Salem was just the famous one. There were so many other ones, too. But, um, like, the early, the original colonies, you know, even at, at Virginia, Roanoke had similar... Uh, had similar trials mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, just the whole witch hunt thing. Like, yeah, everybody, I think, to the mass hysteria, because there were so many people that were getting accused of it. And if you were accused, like, you had very little defense against it. Mm -hmm. And some of the tests that they would do would be, like, stack stones on top of you. And if you could survive, then you were a then you weren't a witch. Or, like, no. They would, like, throw you in the ocean <laughs> with a rock tied to your feet and say if you floated then you were a witch. Right, and then... But if you died, then you were not. Yeah, so it's just like, so they're basically just drowning people. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Like, that's a horrible way. And they, but they would do the same thing with the rock stacking, too. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But, like, even nowadays, you can think about it, this whole cancel culture is very much the same mm -hmm. way. Uh, you know, I mean, not even to get, like, polit into the politic aspect of things, but, like, you know, it's very much... It has a lot of people on edge... Especially when they start going through people's, like, Facebook posts and Twitter's posts from, like, 10 years ago. Mm hmm And I know the, uh, you know, like, some people are <laughs> – there's a lot of people out there that would, like, go back in their high school days where they're, like, dropping the N-word in those rap songs. They just, like, post the lyrics on, the, on their <laughs> Facebook page. It's like, oh, crap, better go back. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, it's 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 so true though. It's I think it's just ultimately comes down to like a us versus them mentality, and I think that's very true today. It, you yeah. know, as it was then. I mean, we're not exactly accusing everyone of of being witches, but it's like it comes down to like if you have Almost a certain political belief or something like that, like they're canceling you out of your life and stuff like that. Like I don't want anything to do with you and all this stuff, and it's. It's crazy, you know. I mean, there's a number of other things that people have been getting into. I mean, even like uh, the sexual assault or mm -hmm. like um, sexual inappropriateness kind of things. Like uh, a lot of people would consider sexual harassment. You know, they'll like go back. There's some celebrity they got from like that like had something happen like 20 years ago or 10 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. Like way beyond the statute of limitations. And like they're pulling them out, and like he, they were that person was fired for something that like happened twenty years ago. And I like look at that man. It's like I'm not even the same person I was five years ago, <laughs> let alone twenty years ago, man. Like, shoot, how much have I learned? How different? Oh am yeah, am I now than I was then? I can't even imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's like where this witch hunt starts to come in, and it's not just for like sexual stuff. It's like for any kind of form of derogatory thought back in the day you know mm -hmm. what i mean it, 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 and i think everybody uh not just 
racism or sexism or anything like that. Everybody has had some kind of uh, hateful thought in their head at some point mm-hmm. towards somebody. doesn't matter what it is. And I, it is becoming a witch hunt to where everybody is throwing stones from glass houses. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's it's it's just crazy. And I think that even that energy kind of riles up a lot of things too. I think that that's why Salem is such a haunted place. Oh, for honestly. sure. It's not even necessarily just the deaths. It's just like the fear, the people living in anxiety and on edge just because they didn't know like – I I could say the wrong thing to one person, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they or I could say something and they take it completely the wrong way, and now I'm a horrible, disgusting human being or something, you know? <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, it's that that energy is seriously so powerful because I like going to a lot of different historic battlefields and stuff too, and just kind of soaking in the history. But I mean, the energy there just feels so much different. I mean, like I've been to like Antietam in Maryland, and like. I've even been to Dachau in, in Germany, like where they had the concentration camps and stuff. And like, it just, it's such a heavy weight in the air. Like when you go there, yeah. it's so weird. Like you can cut the tension with a knife. Oh yeah. Like, and that's that, just that awkward, that, it's not even an awkward feeling. It's like an uncomfortable, just intense kind of feeling mm-hmm. that even, I mean like, yeah, if you were to like walk through the buildings of Auschwitz, like you were to walk down the, uh, the roads of Auschwitz, you know, the death camp. Mm-hmm. Walk in the gas. I mean, like that's a whole different feeling, man. Especially like same thing when you walk through the halls of the Ohio State Reformatory or one of these other places, you know, where all this tragedy happened. Mm-hmm. We went to uh, Penhurst Insane Asylum. Well, I guess it wasn't it was called in the Insane Asylum. It was called the State Hot Mental Hospital. Mm-hmm. Penhurst, you know, was uh, became famous uh, when that uh, expose back in the 1960s came out. Suffer the little children. And basically, it was just this news piece uh, where the Commonwealth of Philadelphia, a news reporter, basically went there and, like, saw how disgusting it was. Mm -hmm. And finally, like, did a six-part news piece that kind of exposed, like, how horrible the conditions were. And it wasn't because, like, the staff didn't care. It was because they were severely underfunded and overcrowded. Oh, yeah. Like, people would just drop their, you know, their quote-unquote disappointments off Mm -hmm. you know they just drop them at the front door and say here you go and then leave never come back for them yeah and just you know even that kind of energy that child feels as their family is leaving them behind just dropping them off as if like they didn't love them didn't care i mean that energy itself is so intense and that lingers for so long Mm -hmm. Like, when you walk through those halls, it's almost like you can feel that. You can feel just the raw emotion that these kids felt, like, as they were just left here to basically rot and roll around in their own filth. Oh, yeah. Because there's, like, one one nurse that takes care of 200 patients. Mm-hmm. It's, like, insane. No, for sure. I mean, the treatment of mental health uh, during the... I mean, it's it's evolved and grown so much from what it used to be, and it's so crazy. Yeah, like, it... There almost just used to be like a big stigma with it to where if you had anything going on, you know, you were just labeled crazy and just, you know, put in an asylum. But now it's actually being taken, you know, more, I, I guess, seriously in a way to where you can actually get diagnosed with different things and, and have more care and compassion looked into for, you know, for yourself. And it's actually more socially acceptable and normal to like have a therapist and go to therapy and and there's not that weird stigma that used to be with it if you if you do that or something 
Yeah, and that's um like and, I mean mental health kind of I mean it definitely comes back to me because you know when I suffered that uh, that sudden cardiac arrest, lethal arrhythmia. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean I just collapsed and I um, I suffered a severe head injury or a traumatic brain injury. Hmm. So like I was suffering from uh, frontal lobe inhibition and um, short term memory loss for like the first like couple months that i after i woke up from the coma hmm. so like people like my mom described it i, I was like 10 second tom from the movie 50 first dates oh really Jeez. <laughs> yeah like whereas like i would see the needles and the ivs all in my arms and everything and i'd be like dang what happened and then like 10 seconds later like i'd look down again and see it like dang <laughs> <laughs> Dang. (laughs) But, like, yeah. But, I mean, outside of that, I mean, I I, I suffer from uh, ADD and uh, uh, clinical depression, too, or Mm -hmm. chronic depression, I guess. Mm -hmm. And anxiety, of course. Uh, They think, you know, some borderline personality disorder in there, too. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of things that I take a a whole bunch of medications for. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of that, uh, you know, um, stemmed from... It's more amplified because of the... uh, traumatic brain injury Mm -hmm. that happened i mean really they didn't even think i was going to be able to uh come out of the vegetative state i was in oh wow i mean because i wasn't responsive in any way like i was breathing i had to have i had to be uh force fed i was uh on a breathing machine and like i wasn't like responding to anything but like at some point i guess i was able to wiggle my toes on command Mm -hmm. and so like i you know that whole thing just that's why i have so many questions because like i don't remember any of that yeah and obviously i remember i i mean i know that i had the traumatic brain injury i mean there's a state of consciousness in between life and death clearly yeah i mean just recently actually they were uh scientists uh oh, i can't remember where it was they um but i mean it's all it's been over the, all over the science news lately uh they were actually able to communicate with uh, lucid dreamers in real time For those who are unfamiliar, lucid dreaming is a state of mind in which the dreamer is aware that they're dreaming, and this happens during the REM stage of sleeping, or rapid eye movement. In a recent study published in Current Biology, four teams from four countries conducted 158 trials with 36 participants. Simple yes or no questions were asked, in addition to simple math questions. The sleepers answered questions correctly 18% of the time, which doesn't sound like a lot, But you have to keep in mind that scientists used to think that communicating with those who were asleep was completely pointless. This recent discovery proves otherwise. It seems like it should be a bigger breakthrough kind of thing than it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I see that as a bigger breakthrough than most people do because when you look at lucid dreaming, I mean, that's that's what they call astral projection. Yep. You know, uh, astral projection is like, I mean, that's basically what the whole Stargate project in the ni- in the 90s was. You, you ever heard of the Stargate project? I feel like I have, but if you want to briefly go over it, that'd be awesome. <laughs> you ever watch the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats? Oh, man. I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. Okay. Well, basically, the U.S. military back in the late 80s, the late 80s early 90s, they uh, formed this uh, classified... A program called the Stargate Project, and the whole idea was kind of to weaponize psychic abilities in a sense. They were trying to study them, and like they wanted to try to use like remote viewing for uh, strategic purposes to like see enemy bases and find where people were and stuff like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And uh, try to infiltrate their layers from 
afar. Or uh, the whole idea with the goats was like uh, that they would have these psychics try, these people try to stare at one of those fainting goats. They also did it with canaries too, but like the whole idea was that you were supposed to sit like 10 feet away from them in a chair and without moving, without blinking or anything like that, you're supposed to try to make that goat faint. Hmm. Those goats, they, um, the fainting goats, they, they don't necessarily faint, but like their muscles like lock up when they, when their heart rate gets to a certain point, like when they're startled or when they're excited. So the whole idea was that they had to like excite this goat and enough to make it faint without moving Hmm. without making any kind of facial gestures or anything you just kind of had to use your mind and that was like the whole point of that study and apparently some people were able to do it Hmm. i mean they were actually you you think about this man they had the top scientists in the world on on these projects Hmm. you know it's the military of course they do they found several things i mean they found that some of these some of these things were actually working and I actually personally know, um, or I, I mean, I've talked to him before, a guy by the name of Kevin Baird. Uh, he was a former psychic soldier in the Stargate Project. Okay. And he was actually released. Uh, he was honorably discharged, but like he, he claims his discharge was because he was able to tell his superiors some information that he was not supposed to know. And they thought he was hacking into the computer systems and shit, hmm. but they could not, like, find any... Sorry, I didn't mean to cuss. No, you're good. <laughs> they thought he was hacking into the computer systems, and so uh, they were ter- interrogating him like crazy, you know? They thought, like, how do you know this? And he's like, well, I'm psychic. I'm doing what you wanted me to do. But, you know, they were really, like, they didn't want to believe it, and so they apparently that's why he was discharged but he had to be honorably discharged because you know i mean like how do you explain a dishonorable discharge that way right <laughs> like how do you put that in a report <laughs> no that's super interesting he was able to tell us some information you know? yeah but no the crazy thing is, is that this guy kevin baird now he and he created this device called the new companion mm-hmm and this is probably the craziest freaking device I've ever seen in my life. And it's, I, I don't, I'm so astounded and fascinated by it. But I apparently have a bad, like the guy has a bad taste in his mouth over me for some reason. Because like this device, the new companion, I've seen, I have been seeing it on eBay and so in all these places for a long time. And I never even thought to reach out about one. But one day I decided to. You know, and I started talking to the guy, and that's when I found out all this stuff about the start about him being a, psych, a psychic soldier in the Stargate project. This device he created based on a lot of the things that he was able to find out during his time on the Stargate project, mm-hmm. and some of that stuff was that on the AM band there are uh, subtle static bursts that are given off by our environment that are given off by all of your thoughts, emotions, your intentions, everything has some form of frequency, a vibrational frequency that you give off. And we talked about that earlier. Mm. But he said that those those uh, frequencies can be detected in the form of subtle static bursts within the AM band mm. on the RF spectrum. And so basically this whole, th- this device would kind of read these values. It would d- kind of go through the environment and read all the different values and over a period of time it would uh, assign values to words 
but it would do it in a way to where words could only be said or phrases could only be said if there were values that were detected in a specific sequence, mm -hmm. almost like a pin code. So like it would say a certain phrase or word if it detected like these four values in a, in a specific row or in a specific sequence. It's almost like it would learn how the energy in the room was based on the situation. Like if you were fighting with your significant other, like you and, uh, you and her were in an argument or something, it would be able to sense the tension in the room and speak accordingly. Mm -hmm. And like it would actually say things like, we all just need a break or something simple like that. But it would say that when you were arguing with your significant other. Hmm. And it's really weird because, and the reason that the builder, I think he's upset with me is because I, I gifted, he gifted me a new companion. He built one for me mm -hmm. to, and he actually built it for the purposes of paranormal research. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea was that I was going to be able to leave it at these locations for a while and see if the spirits are able to interact with it. However, it was hard because I did it for a while and it wasn't working the way that I had hoped it would. And so I thought, well, what if I let this psychic medium that was local to us and she was on our team for a while, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like, you know, what if we let her bond with it? Like, what if we let it just stay over at her house and let her interact with it and it, let it pick up on that environment and see if it reacts that way? And man, like this thing started working crazy good, man. Like there were things like it would say just the most relevant things at the most like at any opportune moment. Hmm. Like it was just so perfect, everything that it would say in reaction to what was actually going on. And you wonder, like, how in the hell does it know that we were arguing or how does it know that we just needed to eat or like we we're hungry or we we're thinking about dinner? How did, how does it know that? Right. And it's because it's picking up on these little static bursts that are detecting your thoughts, your whatever, you know? And it's just amazing. And so that is one of, like, the things that the Stargate Project, like, it tells you that they're really on to something. They're really on to some mm -hmm. things over there. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Apparently, they're still doing research on it. I would have never thought that I would ever meet or talk to a Stargate, a former psychic soldier in the Stargate Project. Yeah. Like, oh, that's, it's crazy. That's so crazy. <laughs> it's just so thought-provoking in so many ways. It really is. Because I had a million questions for the guy. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it's so funny when you just meet that, that person that you never thought you'd cross paths with, and then you're like, almost just like your mind's just on overdrive, and you're like thinking of so many different things to ask, and you don't even know where to start. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so uh, awesome. Absolutely. Something I, I forgot to ask earlier, too. So what's what would you say has been the most profound or impactful paranormal experience that you've had? Ooh. That one's hard. And I always get the I get this question all the time, and I never know how to answer it but then like afterwards i always remember like oh i would definitely say that <laughs> man i mean there, i know that there were there's a number of things that I'm, i've experienced that are just like off the wall i can't believe that that just happened kind of deals mm -hmm. i mean higginsport school obviously seeing like the apparition was kind of crazy uh, you know seeing kevin the little boy run around the school was really crazy mm -hmm. but then uh you know of course 
seeing doors just f- wide open, you know, just close on their own. Mm-hmm. There was a room in the Higgins Sports School, the art room. And I know that they didn't really do a whole lot in the episode of the uh, Paranormal Lockdown at the school, but, mm-hmm. like, the room was the most that door would slam shut all the time (laughs) and it could be windy as hell outside like there's no way like there would be days where it was windier beyond all belief and it wouldn't move but then days there'd be no wind and it would slam shut and it's a heavy door so we actually took it to a test one time we took a leaf blower that had like a 250 mile per hour blower on it (laughs) we had to get 10 feet away from this door with this thing at full force like 250 mile per hour air blasting at this door to make it move jeez we had that happen a number of times and those are always like some of the craziest things that i just i can't believe just happened yeah oh i know exactly what it is now i think about it i remember (laughs) my most profound experience man and it's kind of one of the toughest ones that i have to deal with and i'm still kind of like reeling from it the whole Corey glossett situation in middle point Mm -hmm. the school is somehow conveniently located within a triangle formed by these three homes Corey lived in a in a duplex he lived in the top floor of the duplex across the street from the school and uh cory glossett has been missing since 2016 i should kind of mention that off right off the bat Mm -hmm. we had no idea oh yeah yeah so Corey lived across the school the number one suspect in the case lives across the field to the left of the school if you're looking at it if you're looking at the school you look to the left across the field and there's his house and then they thought that uh, this other guy that lived behind the school in a uh, house that, I mean it, this guy was a hoarder mm-hmm. and you can tell um, but he just recently passed but like these three houses formed a perfect like triangle around the middle point school Corey went missing back in 2016, and uh, he's still missing. Still don't have any clue about what happened to him. Uh, The CSI and the FBI and all these people, they actually came out and they dug up this dude's yard because they were so convinced that he was there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, like, we were investigating at Middle Point one time, one night. We were doing a live feed with my good friend Chili. Um, Greg Childress, he's he's done a lot in the music business. I just don't know. I don't know why we were upstairs investigating at the school, and I thought to myself, you know, I just asked, "What ha- do you know? What happened to Corey?" And uh, this that question like led us like we were using a ghost box that uh, it's called the Ink Box. It responded to that question and said like Corey Glossett, and it like started saying all kinds of relevant information and it actually like the responses led us out of the school outside and into a lot behind the school and it was just the weirdest freaking thing dude because like in this lot the lot is there's a tree line that kind of hides most of the lot and uh behind this tree line we during this session it led us out back out behind the tree line and there just happened to be this like six foot long three or four foot wide mound like it looked like it was dug maybe a year ago Hmm. and like when i look at the satellite photos like the dirt is freshly dug and when i look at when we went there it was like two foot tall grass 
Hmm. And when we when we like were stepping on this mound, like we actually stood on it and it was like bouncing. Like it was, there was like a mattress underneath it. Hmm. It was all circumstantial and it actually led us like into this whole battle. And like, it wasn't really a battle. It was more just like a whole like unintended situation that like, like I really did not want to be involved in a missing person's case, especially not in a missing person's case where I'm, communicating with the detective uh trying to you know help find this kid Mm -hmm. you know and i didn't even want to like it was so like inadvertent you know what i mean like we had no interest in getting involved in any of that and we were kind of put in a spot to like be involved in it and i just like we ended up getting involved with the family and we tried to do you know some good things with that for them tried to help them out you know but i knew like they were gonna take things the wrong way it's just a bad situation man i didn't i could see it going right into it and like one of the things we did like we held this kind of little memorial walk Mm -hmm. for Corey. You know, and um, just to try to help raise some money, try to maybe get like a like a memorial headstone or something. Yeah. You know, and I knew um, I have a good friend who actually owns a number of like really nice granite headstones that uh, because he's a he kind of he'll buy things and try to flip them, you know, and he actually owns a number of haunted buildings that we work with and Brian. But, I mean, the guy's not, like, some just sleazebag, you know. He's actually uh, very, he's kind of eccentric. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he has these beautiful headstones. He was willing to give me one for real cheap. I mean, he was just beautiful, man. Like, he was just, like, three, four foot long and, like, probably two and a half foot deep. I mean, this thing would have been, like, a couple thousand dollar headstone. Easy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was willing to do it for us for 200, give it to a, give it to me for 200 bucks oh, wow. because of the circumstances, you know? And I was like, wow, you know, that's awesome. And I was like really excited about it, you know? And so like, so when we did this fundraiser, this, this memorial walk, uh, we had ra- tried to raise money, uh, like by giving tours of the school. Like we offered the school up as a venue kind of deal, you know, mm-hmm. we grilled hot dogs and sold hot dogs and burgers and stuff, try to just raise money. And so we did all this, and um, I think that the family kind of took that the wrong way. Mm. I don't know what. I think that they they thought that they were that we were trying to turn it into some kind of spectacle, mm. and that's what like my biggest fear was was them thinking that because like that was not of our not our intentions in any way, but, right? And so it was just a whole bad scenario. But like the fact that we were actually led into all that based on ghost box responses that like led us outside of where we were investigating out to a lot out back and got us involved in this whole mess with missing persons case. That's probably the most profound experience. No, that, that definitely would be. And I think more than anything, people are just looking for, you know, answers in that scenario. So like if you're actually being led in these different paths through that, yeah, that's, that's definitely really impactful for sure. Well, and I think the worst part about that was, and then just to your point, actually, you know, I think people were, I think that because we had re-sparked the conversation after like three years of just nothing, mm-hmm. you know, he had, the case had almost gone cold. Like we, they were, at, the detectives were at a point where they just didn't have any new leads. They didn't know where to go. Right. You know, and so, um, you know, they always rely on the public at some point. And uh, when nobody's talking or whatever, you know, it's fine. But this, when we did that, it actually re-sparked the conversation all across the area 
like thousands of people. I think we ended up getting like thirteen or fourteen thousand views on that live stream. It like re-sparked a lot of the conversation, and people were coming forward left and right with information. And we were directing them to the Van Wert County Sheriff's Department, like say, please here to call Detective Fitro, call you know, tell them the story. And at the very least, we did end up getting them a couple of new leads. I obviously he wasn't able to like divulge what those leads were, mm-hmm. um, but he said that they did get some new information. Um, I don't think that they went anywhere with that; it was able to go anywhere. But you know that I saw that as a good thing. But I think the family they had they had high hopes. Yeah, you know they're so desperate for an answer for justice for him. You know I think that they were putting all of their ducks in a pond in that aspect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that there was nothing that we could have done that would have given them any kind of answers. And, and that's what I think what killed me the most with it was just like, I knew it was just going to end badly from that perspective. You know what I mean? Right. No, that, yeah, that makes sense. Unless we find him, you know, there's nothing that like, that's, there's nothing short of finding him that's going to be acceptable. You know what I mean? Right. Especially when you become so involved and you re-spark it and make it such a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was like so unintended and yeah, it just sucked. Yeah. I, I mean, all in all, I mean, I, yeah, there's some of those, that's just some of those things that like I look back at and I wonder if I could have handled it better. Yeah. I think I could have, but I also don't. I think I would have avoided it altogether if I could. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. And I mean, I think that's completely normal to look back on situations and say like, oh, what could I have done differently here or something like that. But I mean, I think, you know, like what you were saying, like re-sparking that conversation and, and at least having a couple leads, even if they didn't go anywhere, I think that was more important than anything. So, no, I think that's awesome. Yeah, and that's the way I try to stay looking at it, you know, because... uh that's one of the things I struggle with a lot, you know, is, uh, you know, how I affected that family, you know, because even it was not meant to be a spectacle. We didn't want it to be a spectacle. I mean, we were kind of just following up with what we were doing mm-hmm. and it led us to that point. I think we, we definitely got wrapped up into that and it put us into a spot that we were not prepared for. But to, yeah, I mean, after three years of nothing, and then you suddenly have thousands of people talking about this. I mean, that was the only good thing that I could have that I saw out of it. But like, even from the get go, I had a feeling because unless we find Corey, like, what is what are we going to do that's going to be beneficial to this family? We're just playing with their emotions at that point, mm-hmm. and I knew that the whole time. And I like I expressed that the whole time too that I felt that way. Yeah. I almost felt obligated to continue with it at a certain point. You know, when you dive so far emotionally deep into something, it's like, how do I just say, uh, I'm just, I'm done with it now. Sorry, (laughs) sorry, family. You know, like we just play, we just tore out all these emotions from your, from inside of you guys. And now I'm just going to leave you. Yeah. Like that's kind of messed up. I feel like. (laughs) No, for sure. And it's, it can be really hard to find that separation, I guess, you know, because obviously you can get very emotionally involved in a lot of these projects and situations, especially when it 
involves, you know, families who are looking for answers and things like that. But speaking of that, have you ever had a spirit or entity kind of attach itself to you after you left an investigation? No, yeah, no. Uh, the, the, the attachment aspect of the paranormal thing, I think, is uh, it's very subjective. I think it really depends on who you ask. Like, some people will look at it and think that things are uh, following them home or think that they have more activity happening in their home. And I think a lot of that is just them psyching themselves out. Not to say that there aren't people that uh, have spirits that follow them home from locations, but it's one of those things, like, out of the thousands and thousands of people that have come through the locations, they chose to follow you Mm -hmm. out of everybody. They chose (laughs) to follow you. (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah, and I think what we were talking about before too, I think it all comes down to intention too. Like if you're egging something on or doing something or, or just kind of like, you know, opening doors or, or something like that, I, I think something is more apt to kind of follow you or, or attach itself to you in instances like that. And that instance, I guess some people have to be mindful and careful and stuff like that and and learn how to separate i guess yeah and a lot of people will use uh various forms of protection as well but i think uh i think a lot of it it's all uh, like mental like it's all your uh perception of things and i think like if you want to believe that a spirit followed you home maybe a spirit did follow you home Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's where, I, I mean, the paranormal is so, you know, it is subjective, so it doesn't really matter because somebody that doesn't look for it, doesn't care about the paranormal field is not going to recognize anything. And mm-hmm. they're going to say, oh, no, I haven't had anything. And that reminds me, too, like, have you ever had anybody, I guess, out at your events or anything who may have just been kind of a skeptic and maybe kind of had mind-blowing experience while they were doing the event oh yes (laughs) (laughs) i mean so too many times to count to be honest with you man i remember one particular instance actually down at the middle point school in middle point ohio there was a guy and his wife that came out just a small little public thing we were doing and uh this guy his wife was a full like a full believer of the paranormal and she watched all the shows and everything, but her husband, like, this guy was just like, hey, so it's bullshit, you know, it's, you know it's, there's no way that a dead person is speaking to me or, you know, that there's other realms. And I was like, okay, man. So, mm-hmm. like, we, we went through the entire night, and then at one point during the investigation, I had him hold a device called the Direct Link. Mm-hmm. Now, the Direct Link, it uses a person's energy basically uh to communicate mm-hmm. the way it were it's basically a random a randomly sweeping radio uh, fm radio it's a uh, detuned so there's like no antenna for the most part basically mm-hmm. you have to make contact with your finger on the antenna jack on this thing uh in order for the radio to get reception so your body in theory becomes the antenna for this mm-hmm. box and so um he was holding it and he had asked, I don't know, I remember the whole night he was like, man, there's some cool stuff, but I'm still not really, like, sold, sold. Mm-hmm. And we ended up going into the gym, and he, I had him hold the direct, like, he asked, like, what did his mother used to call him when he was a kid? And it actually, like, said it through the direct link loud and clear, and... I can remember the look on his face. Like, he just got so wide-eyed and so pale. He was like, there's (laughs) no way in hell 
that a radio station or something would just happen to say this word at the perfect time right after you asked this question. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, it's, it was a, it was a Spanish word. So I can't remember exactly what it was, but, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't something that you would just hear on any FM station. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like you randomly just heard like Paul or something. <laughs> no, no. It was like, it was like a, the Spanish word for angel. Okay. Like, because um, his mama used his mom used to call him uh, her little angel, mm. and so like she, but it, she would say it in Spanish. I don't know what the Spanish word for it is, but uh, yeah, it's something like that. <laughs> you know, something very specific too. So it's not like you know how, why would it just happen to say this one word? And when I say it's randomly scanning the frequencies, like basically it's scanning about six thousand different steps. Uh, and a step is a megahertz on the uh, FM spectrum. So, like, instead of it, uh, 87.5, 87.51, 87.52, 87.53, 87.5, like, it'll do that all the way through the FM spectrum, all the way up to, like, the 107.5. And I think it actually goes a little beyond and a little before the 87. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now just imagine it's just jumping around all over the place at a really high rate of speed. Right. Like, there's no way two words are coming through this box at the same... I'd be surprised if a full word was able to be said through this box when it's going the speed that we had it. Mm -hmm. And then just for that one particular instance, that one word came through at the perfect moment. Right. I mean, it's really mind-blowing. Yeah, the randomization is the biggest thing. Random is everything in the paranormal field. Mm -hmm. Like, really, if you are able to use a random feature on something, then that's always the best option to do because it kind of eliminates any, like, it eliminates a lot of false positives. Mm -hmm. And easily, like, with with a ghost box, a false positive could be, you know, a a radio station that bleeds into a couple extra frequencies before and after the main channel you know what i mean right so when you're sweeping through it forward or backwards it'll sound like it's saying multiple words in that one in a little segment but really it's it's just a john jacobs over there at ford on you know what i mean like yeah (laughs) it's like the ford dealership over there i'm a dealer for the people (laughs) that kind of thing you know right if you have it randomly jumping around i mean there's I mean, in theory, there's no way that two words in the same voice are spoken in a short period of time. I mean, really, to get two words back-to-back in the same voice, like maybe like ten steps apart, like ten frequencies that have been sweeped through, I mean, the the chances of that are just astronomical. And, I mean, we've had things like like those direct links. We actually had two of them connected together together. Because they have audio inputs and outputs. So you can actually run audio from one into the other and vice versa and like loop it back around. I was playing around with that idea. That was pretty cool. But what we had happen was we actually had a voice come through two different direct links at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it actually it said, uh, it said, please help me. And it was a little girl that said this. Oh, wow. Uh, or no, it said, let me go. Sorry. And, uh, I mean, it was so clear and faint. We call those a direct radio voice mm-hmm. because it's not coming from the radio chip itself. It's coming after the radio chip. So, you know, so where's that voice coming from? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But the direct link, I mean, just the fact that we got that voice coming through two separate direct links going at different speeds, both scan- scanning randomly. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where that fascination lies. And so for a guy to experience something just as direct as that, you know, it's just it, it's just so amazing. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah and I, I know overall, obviously, the paranormal field is very subjective to a lot of people. There are naturally going to be a lot of skeptics about it and stuff, too. But I feel like those those moments are just so powerful, too. It really helps, you know, determine what your stance on it is, too. And, that, and it just kind of takes some of those powerful moments to actually, like, change your mind or open yourself up to some of this stuff too but i think that's really cool no absolutely yeah and i mean i i typically say people that don't believe are just people that haven't had an experience right no so true (laughs) yeah so i mean really that's all it really is i think (laughs) yeah no i agree with that now is there anything that you wanted to kind of touch on that i may have forgot to ask about earlier not that I can think of offhand. I know um, we spent a good two hours talking. You know, so <laughs> we covered a lot. It was awesome. Yeah, no, you said some really like cool, insightful stuff and everything, too. I appreciate that. For sure. Well, how can people uh, best reach you and what you do with Underground Paranormal Network? Uh, well, people can reach me at uh, facebook.com slash the UGPN. It's uh, the Underground Paranormal Network, and uh, we also have uh, Instagram. It's at the underscore UGPN. And I know that all the different locations and builders all branch off from that one page. Like, you can find everything on that one page. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that Facebook page is extremely helpful, too. I mean, uh, if you're looking for events or just more information or just you know different links to people who create different equipment and stuff i mean you got it all there yes sir yeah i know you're very active on there and stuff too so it's (laughs) extremely resourceful for sure (laughs) made my job easy i try to (laughs) (laughs) no so good that's awesome well cool yeah and and yeah like you said before i mean we had so much you know content and stuff from before that i think is really great and stuff to use i'm really excited to put all this together and stuff and and like I was saying before, I absolutely love what you're doing too, like taking the whole paranormal approach to preservation and actually trying to preserve these buildings and keep the history there and, and tell the stories really and get the right people involved and get the volunteers in. No, I think it's really awesome what you're doing, man. No, I appreciate that, man. I really do. It's a it's a collective effort from not just me. I mean, really, my whole crew, you know, it, it takes a lot of it's it just takes a lot out of us and so you know every bit of support every bit of uh you know even just a share on facebook or whatever is so helpful to us because it gets more eyes on the projects Mm -hmm. and of course you you know you're gonna you're gonna have to come out at some point and uh experience one of these locations as well oh yeah no i'm totally down for that i know i'm kind of itching to to do it i mean you make it look so much fun with these events so i'm gonna have to make an appearance at one (laughs) oh absolutely man you have to come out to the july 31st one in detroit nice yeah that's awesome yeah so so for anyone listening to definitely check it out july 31st yes sir (laughs) sounds good man Awesome. Well, yeah, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and do this and have this chat. You know, absolutely loved it, learned a ton of new things. So uh, I wish you the best with any of your future events and projects with all this, man. Uh, Absolutely, man. It was great talking to you, too, and uh, you as well. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it.
Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to all of Austin's pages can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing, mixing, and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.